0: Batman family reunion, a proud part of the Fire and Water podcast network. I am Sean M. Myers, one of your hosts, and with me is my co-host and bat cousin,
1: Paul Keen. How are you doing, Paul? I'm great, Sean, but I'm really tired. I have been out fencing with my cousin Robert, and he's really good. Um, but I am about to head over to get some of Grandma Lee's potato salad. That should make up for it. How you been this month?
0: I'm okay now, but Grandpa Johnny has two brothers, Adam and Frank. <laughs> And they had a ton of questions about streaming services. They were especially confused about HBO Max (laughs) and was it a combo of HBO and Cinemax. So I had to spend about an hour going over everything with them only to find out Batman 66 isn't even on the service. So it was all (laughs) for nothing. Paul, I'm so tired. Do you want to tell the folks at home about the show?
1: You got it. So hopefully you know by now, The Batman Family was a DC comic that ran for 20 issues from 1975 to 78, and then it rescued Detective Comics from the DC implosion by continuing as a dollar comic for 15 more issues until 1980. The title started out with new features starring Batgirl and Robin, along with reprints, before morphing into all new stories starring other members of the Batman Family, such as the Huntress, Commissioner Gordon, Man-Bat, and even Ragman and the Demon. Both of your hosts collected and read these comics as they came out and are excited to share their love of this era at the Batman Family Reunion.
0: And Bat Cousins, this is a very, very special episode for me
1: because
0: not only is this the first issue of Batman Family that I ever purchased brand new off of the stands, but it's the very first comic book that I ever purchased brand new off of the stands. I grew up with comics, they were around the house. Every time you would go to a friend's house, they were there or school. But this was the very first comic that I picked up off the shelf. And I can still remember my father was on vacation. So we took the motorcycle into town, which is about five minutes away. Uh, in so a sidecar? Grew- were you in the sidecar? <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 not the sidecar. <laughs> that, that wouldn't come <laughs> until after I moved out of the house. I know. Darn you, darn. darn. <laughs> I grew up in a place called Spring Grove, Pennsylvania. And in Spring Grove, there was Uffelman's Newsstand. And you would go up a couple steps, open up the door, And they had a huge comic book shelf right there. Marvels were kind of like on top. DCs were on the bottom. And I remember seeing Batman Family. and I remember seeing this cover. And I had to have been familiar with Batman from Batman 66. I knew who all of these characters were. And I knew that I loved them. And also in Super Friends. And I just loved it. So I was so happy because I got this comic book. But when we left the newsstand, it dawned on me that we had the motorcycle and I was so afraid that something was going to happen to the comic. So dad said, we just put it in the waistband of your shorts and then put your shirt on top. I'm like, okay. So then we got on the motorcycle. But still, I was so afraid. So all the way home. I held on to dad's back all of, like with my face sideways up against it. My <laughs> oh, chest so was fat because I was so scared this bag is he was just going to go flying out
1: from away from me. <laughs> oh, that's so cute. So I have to ask you, what is it do you think about this cover just the recognition of robin and Batgirl, like what what is it that made you pick this one up from all the choices that you had
0: i was a kid as a kid i loved robin i still love robin it definitely was that association robin was created so kids could identify with him um, i love that he was funny and honestly because of being familiar with batman 66 some of it probably was like a little bit of a crush on robin or burt ward but it was action and it's colorful and bright. I think too, because it was Robin and Batgirl together in, mm-hmm. in a book, and then I'd find out in a story. I think that's totally what got me to get this book versus just a Batman book.
1: Well, that's a great story, Sean. Thank you for sharing it. That's, uh, that's pretty cool.
0: So the issue itself is cover dated September, October, 1976. The release date was June 24th, 1976. It's a 48 page count with a cover price of 50 cents. There are three stories, one new and two reprints. The cover artist is Ernie Chan or Ernie Chua. Paul, what do you think of the cover?
1: So I really like the cover. I kind of like the white. You don't see a lot of white covers. I think Batgirl looks great, both in her portrait along the side and her swinging in to kick the huntress on the top of the pyramid. Robin looks young again, especially in his portrait on the side there. He looks pretty young and heads at the top are good. And I always like it when they put the little tiny Batman family logo in the trade (laughs) dress. I just like that. You know, it's cool. I like the menace of Dr. Double X at the bottom with the Batman trophies. It tells you what the backup stories are. So overall, good. The main image, you got Sportsmaster and Robin fencing and the Tigress trying to throw a net on Robin just as Batgirl swinging in. So it's a lot of action, sort of a circular, draws your eye in a circle around from Batgirl to Huntress to Robin to Sportsmaster. And I kind of like that. It's an effective cover. Obviously, it worked for you, brought you in. And you talked about my main point. I love the circularness
0: of it. Yeah, just like like Batman is swinging into Huntress. Huntress is about to ensnare Robin. Robin has his sword, which is being cut down by Sportsmaster. Yeah, I love the round Robin of it all. (laughs) (laughs) The only complaint I have, and this is a really minor complaint, I just don't know that I really like the orange yeah. in the batman family letters of the logo but yeah. even that like that's such a minor minor
1: quibble i kind of agree with it because it clashes with the red background the sky like why is the sky red is crisis going on during this or something <laughs> i don't know but I, you're, you're right i'd noticed that before but the orange is kind of a washed out looking color relative to that bright red that we have in the background of main figures
0: you know people know my thing about boxes Mm-hmm. But I do always appreciate, especially with the reprint stories, if the cover artist draws representation of those issues instead of just having like cut and paste artwork mm-hmm. from that story. And this is new artwork. I think that really puts it like a makes a difference. point above.
1: Yeah, it does make a difference. I agree with you. The best ones were all the Mad Hatter heads, though. That was the. <laughs> one on that I song. love that.
0: Yeah, <laughs> check them off as you read the story. <laughs> We will post the image of the cover as well as some additional pages from each of the stories in our family portrait gallery on the network's website. Paul, remind our listeners where that is.
1: Oh, gosh. I hope I can remember. Oh, yeah. It's fireandwaterpodcast.com. Let's jump ahead into that first story, Sean.
0: Okay, the first story is 13 Points to a Dead End, starring Batgirl and Robin. It's 17 pages. The writer is Elliot S. Magan. The penciler is Kurt Swan. The anchor is Vince Coletta. And it was later reprinted in Batgirl, The Bronze Age Omnibus, Volume 1, and Robin, The Bronze Age Omnibus from 2020. Batgirl and Robin in 13 Points to a Dead End. If you and your boyfriend, girlfriend, husband, wife, or significant other have you ever had to endure spending time with another couple who just argue, fuss, and fight with one another? <laughs> Boy, howdy, will you be able to empathize with Robin and Batgirl in this story. The story starts off with a dramatic sword fight between Batgirl and Robin on the steps of an ancient Aztec Indian pyramid, while the sportsmaster and the huntress, not that one, root them on. Our story proper begins with Bruce Wayne on the phone with Dick Grayson, because news of Batgirl's abduction has hit. And he was going to enlist Robin's aid in finding her. But Dick tells Bruce that Batman's in too many stories this month and needs to stay in Gotham. As he's driving to DC in his Robin van, you better get on that, Migo. He goes over details of how Batgirl Kool-Aid manned her way through a bank window to stop a hostage situation. The hostages came out of the bank, but Batgirl and the gunmen didn't. At the People's Bank, by the way, really for real in my life, my very first bank was called People's Bank, and it is still in existence, privately owned, it hasn't been bought out, People's Bank of Glenrock. So that's pretty amazing. <laughs> At the bank, Robin pulls on an extra curtain cord and trapdoors down to all of the pillars that Pier 1 got rid of when they went out of business. A messed up Maxell 45 cassette tape and a Southwest Airline plane ticket send him to Mexico, but not before halting a hijacking and parachuting from a passenger plane down to the jungle. At this point, we are introduced to the Sportsmaster and the Huntress, not that one, of Earth One. And in one panel, it's explained (laughs) that these two are different from the Sportsmaster and the Huntress, not that one, from Earth Two. And seven-year-old Sean, reading his very first comic book ever, didn't need a 12-issue maxi-series because it was all just too confusing. In a flashback, Crusher and Paula are practicing their lines as George and Martha in the Underworld All-Stars production of Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf when they bicker about getting the buried treasure from a 60-foot hole filled with dangers and traps. Then the story catches up to the present. As an unconscious Batgirl comes to and has to listen to Basil Exposition and the Misses, set the scene for the best parts of the story, those being a chariot race, an archery match, a sword fight, a race up the pyramid, badminton, table tennis, and finally, rhythmic gymnastics. No, (laughs) just kidding about those last three, but all three of them are Olympic Games. Incredibly, Batgirl and Robin both saw through the totally believable and not at all ludicrous story from Mr. and Mrs. Menace and enjoy some steed and peel banter with each other while they hogtie the villain. Meanwhile, in Gotham City, Bruce tells Alfred that he's not sure why he's in this framing device at all, because Backer on Robin will be saving his title from cancellation in 13 more issues. Paul, what did you think?
1: <laughs> I really like this story, Sean. It's exciting. It's interesting. Once again, we get pretty good art from Swan and Coletta, the first back-to-backers I think we've had in Batman Family so far. Great splash page. You see background Robin dueling on the stairs. What are the huntress and sportsmaster doing with their hands? (laughs) They're saying, dodge, parry, thrust. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure we'll get a comment from Martin on the logos. I know you like these. Sort of no 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 no
0: no. I I don't like these. I get confused. You guys are logoing back and forth. I
1: love these logos. (laughs) Okay. Okay. I I, thought so. I thought these were oh my god.
0: My only complaint is Robin has the red cape. They should should be yellow, yeah. Yeah, they correct that later. But oh my god, I would love to have those on t-shirts oh my gosh I absolutely love 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 those logos I I I have absolutely no complaints whatsoever about those logos I love them a hundred percent you
1: know it's interesting that they went with a sort of matching logo and I, I kind of make sense for Batman family for this stage of the comic that we're in that they should have somewhat matching parallel logos although I don't know why they had to add the Teen Wonder like, who doesn't know who Robin is? <laughs> yeah.
0: Batman Family is the only place where these logos showed up, right? I don't ever remember seeing them in other places. So if our Bat-cousins have, have to seen look that, at this, like, please detective. let us
1: know. You know, at this point, they weren't having Batgirl and Robin at backups in Detective. I mean, this month, we'll see when we do the Bat-timeline. The Atom is in Detective <laughs> as a backup. <laughs> so uh, probably right, because they probably weren't appearing in solo stories. We'll have to look at that. And maybe the Bat-cousins have a, an answer. But anyway, good start to the story i love how well go ahead
0: it's gonna be tough for me to be objective yeah about this because i absolutely love the story now there are some things that i'll point out that are kind of utterly ridiculous but you know this is your first story this is my first story and it it actually took me a kind of like a while before i really realized the timeline aspect of this story yeah really because like It starts off with Batman calling Dick about this. So then Dick is telling what happened like a day or two before. Then it catches up to them, you know, at the pyramid. But even that technically isn't the present because at the very end is the present, which would have been a couple of days after because it's in the newspaper.
1: Yeah, It's an odd sequence. I mean, he wanted to start, I mean, a lot of comic stories, as we know, like to start in the middle with the fight, the big action sequence, and then they go back. And it's weird is that Dick is telling what happened to Barbara. How did he really know all that? Again, this, I think we got to wave our hands. This is like a projector on the boardwalk. We wave our hands at this. Get some great shots of Fabs crashing Kool-Aid Manning, as you say, through the window there. And once again, now, like you, I can only see the collar on girls' costume.
0: (laughs) So Kurt Swan, and I think we kind of have talked about this. I'm not actually a big, I know this is sacrilegious I'm not a big Kurt Swan Superman fan. He just looks too bulky or boxy. Like, I just Mm -hmm. don't like his Superman figure. But in this, I think it looks great. Years later, he would draw an Aquaman special, which I thought was beautiful, and to like we talk about the inkers and certainly my first comic book story i didn't even know what an inker was so no. but even <laughs> even now with adult eyes I think in terms of Vince Coletta, and I know how bad he can be, I don't have any issues with the art at all.
1: Yeah, um, I think he'd done a nice job on the inking here, especially on the figures. I think backgrounds are sparse and all the rest, a lot of, a lot of details. Like after Robin falls under the pillows, there's just a little table there with a little name tag. But in terms of the art, I think he's done a nice job with the figures. If he's going to spend time anywhere, I guess it's on the faces and the figures, which I think are done pretty well. So I agree with you. And
0: in terms of art, like I love, so the pages aren't numbered, so it's going to make it a little bit tricky. But when Robin stumbles into the ancient site and in the middle panel, it's all yellows and blacks and he... It hits the tripwire and it's like, ah, like that. I think that looks fantastic. Like, I love the two eye panel, like beside him. On that next page, even where background and Robin have their arms straight out with the reins of the yeah, chariots, yeah. like the explosive. That next panel where Robin's hair like flies back because of the motion. Yeah. I think that looks great.
1: Yeah, I agree. That I think Swan does a nice job with the layouts. I was going to mention the page with the explosion behind Robin too. We'll definitely include that one on the gallery because I think we both really liked that one. You mentioned it in your synopsis, the one panel discussion of Earth 1 and Earth 2, Sportsmaster and Huntress. And all in the back of my head, I'm like, would Bob Haney have even bothered? <laughs> <laughs> you know, Bob, you know. Bob Haney would have added 13 more Earth. He would have just, hey, this is the Hunt. Is it the same ones? even though they're older or younger, doesn't matter. I did like that. This may be the only Earth
0: 1, Earth 2 comparison where they don't have Superman, Superman, Batman, Batman, (laughs) Dr. Fate, Aquaman. And
1: again, you called it out in your synopsis. The best part of this story for me, the bickering between the Sportsmaster and the Huntress. I was dying. It was just hysterical! I said you're getting old, Mister, and stupid. Well, you're no spring chicken yourself, girl. I found this unknown valley, didn't I? And you buried the archaeologist who found the treasure too. I convinced the natives there were land was cur- well. But what good is it? Blah 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 blah. I was dying. You just don't see that very often. This is Marvel
0: level yeah. characterization in a DC yeah. book in the seventies. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, because you brought up their bickering, I will say, and this is, of course, with. 53-year-old ears and eyes. So they need this trinket that's at the bottom of this pyramid. Now, I want you to think, they set up this bank robbery with a trap door with tickets on a plane where someone is on the plane to get Robin and Batgirl to the site. Can they really not get like a cherry picker or tie a rope? To something, I know that
1: spikes come out from the wall. I understand that. But... but Robin and Batgirl didn't really do anything that great. All they did was hug close, and they're they're married. They can hug each other close as they did, and they go down, and then they the airbag at the bottom. And that's all they do. Now, I think the hunt, the hunters and the sportsmaster could have done that.
0: However, to take away all of that, I will say, and listeners will know, sportsmaster sticks to a. Th- theme and this theme (laughs) is very evident this isn't signal man this is (laughs) sports master because they are doing sports this is on point so any complaints i have about tying a rope and no yeah. Sportsmaster pulls it around for him. Oh,
1: and and he's got a different outfit every time we see him, which is great. And we're jumping around all over the place. He's got the fencing outfit in, and the, in, uh...
0: in typical Sean fashion. So I said about Marvel characterization. Well, Sportsmaster is the wasp of the DC universe because there's a different outfit every <laughs> single time. <laughs>
1: The one part about the plot that somewhat clever was the fact that the loser would survive, so that would get them to compete to, in theory, to their full abilities, right? But you mentioned that page where the Robin's hair is blowing right. The panel right before that, they share this look with each other, and of course, it ends up in a tie. And it kind of reminded me of an issue number one where they were dragged through the streets and then they released the lever at the same yeah. time. Yeah kind of remember, reminded me of that that they were working as a team and we've mentioned that several times in the course of the show right that we're seeing them develop this ability to work together and i i do like that and then robin cheats which i think is funny with this. <laughs> he is an old
0: movie aficionado just like spider-man
1: <laughs> there you go
0: and two i really love it so and again i wouldn't have picked up on this you know my first time reading. Really. but i love the fact that when they are at the bottom of the pit they get the ruby and they're like you know what there's more to it than this they're yeah. so used to supervillains and their plots and everything like that. they're on to them from the very beginning
1: you know they make pretty short work of them when they get the ruby out which i think is kind of funny but i'm wondering what is that thing that sportsmaster flying in it's like a personal flying saucer <laughs> anti-gravity bathtub what is that thing yeah, I don't know. It's definitely not sports-derivative. No, I, I don't understand what the point was of having him fly around in that, but whatever. I do think it's funny. They're both diving towards the ruby, and this time he's in his football outfit.
0: No, I think the outfit is highlight.
1: You're right. You're right. The outfit's highlight because he had the high scoop, whatever that thing's called. Anyway, and they both are diving towards it, and the bat ropes come in from either side. It's like, yoink! <laughs> It's like out of a Looney Tunes cartoon. <laughs>
0: it almost looks like a flip book. I kind of think if you would take these two panels and, you know, flip book, I think it would work. Especially like Huntress's legs being pulled out from under her.
1: Yeah. So what do you think of the end? Bruce kicking back saying, eh, they did fine. I expected they would do fine. Love it. <laughs> I think it's perfect.
0: And especially, you know, Alfred's like, surely you're impressed with what they've done. He's like, nope. I just know they will.
1: He's like, I brought that young man up as if he were my own son, Alfred. I'm not impressed by the amazing accomplishments of Batgirl or Robin anymore. I've come to expect them. And that's Ascot wearing Bruce Wayne, right? So that's (laughs) bronzy Batman. We like this guy.
0: And readers, I'm going to ask you in the comments, let me know what your first comic was. And let me know what podcast you're on to talk about it. (laughs) (laughs)
1: there you go so before we leave the story there sean i did want to do here the bat family history regarding elliot s magan i've been holding off on elliot s magan who's written most of the news stories that we've seen so far in batman family because this is his last issue we saw bob rizakis come on with the joker's daughter last issue and he will be the main scripter for the news stories for the foreseeable future but elliot s magan was a very prolific bronze age writer And we want to give him his due. Some sources are listed in the show notes again from Wikipedia, Mike's Amazing World. And he's even got his own website, although it doesn't look like his website's been updated since 2019, but there is stuff there. So Elliot S. Magan was born in 1950 and he grew up in New York and New Jersey. He went to Brandeis University in Boston, Sean, and he was the valedictorian of his undergraduate class. Very impressive. He published his first story at 17 in a Boy Scout magazine. And in terms of comics, the famous story about his very first published work is that in college, he wrote a term paper entitled, What Can One Man Do? That he got a grade of B minus. So Magan was annoyed with this assessment. He redid it as a comic book script and sent it into DC Comics. It was passed around the DC offices, and Neil Adams liked the story well enough, and he chose to draw it. It was a Green Arrow story and published in Green Lantern number 87 in 1972. That was the same issue that had the first appearance of John Stewart. Megan's story was not that one. It was a backup starring Green Arrow. He didn't improve his grade, but Megan got a career out of it because he became a writer for DC and Julie Schwartz in particular. And that issue is available on DC Universe Infinite for those who would like to read his very first story. The second cool story while he was in college that I did not know was that while in college at Brandeis, he met the family of one of the university's vice presidents. And the vice president's stepson was Jeff Loeb of Hush... Long Halloween, Marvel TV, wow. Jeff Loeb suggested a story that would eventually be called Must There Be a Superman? And Megan used the idea, which became one of his earliest stories in the Superman franchise and was published in Superman number 247. And I just thought that was really neat and dug a little bit more about Jeff Loeb. And he definitely counts Elliot S. Magin as one of his big mentors in his development. One funny thing I do have to point out is that his website modestly claims that, quote, Notably, as the principal writer of Superman for DC Comics in the 70s and 80s, he was responsible for setting moral and ethical standards for a generation of American kids. (laughs) There you go, Elliot. (laughs) Obviously, one of the famous things about him, you always saw his work, Elliot S., with an exclamation point, Magan. How did that come about? And this is his own words from his website. I got into the habit of putting exclamation marks at the end of sentences instead of periods because the reproduction on pulp paper was so lousy that we all know that. So once by accident, when I signed a script, I put the exclamation point after my S because I was just used to going to that end of the typewriter at the time. Julie saw it. And before he told me, he goes into the production room and issues a general order. That any mention of Elliot Maggins will now be punctuated with an exclamation mark rather than a period from now on until eternity. A couple more things about his life, and then we'll get to his credits. He was active politically. He ran two unsuccessful bids for Congress. And while living in New Hampshire in the 80s, he spent 10 years teaching high school, raising horses, writing books, designing software for Atari. Thus his connection (laughs) to Atari Force, which he wrote some of the earliest appearances there. He also worked as a freelance writer for many years for publications like The Village Voice and many others. For a short time, he had a staff position as an editor at DC, editing some of the TSR tie-ins like Dungeons & Dragons. But he also edited The Challengers of the Unknown miniseries, which was written by a newcomer with his first published work, that newcomer's name, Jeff Loeb. That was Loeb's first published work. So overall, a great career. 205 comic story credits according to Mike's, only five of which from Marvel, including some interesting ones, an adaption of the Iliad for Marvel Comics Classics, Generation X, number one, with Scott Lobdell, of which he wrote a novelization for, and an issue of Spidey Super Stories, your favorite, Sean. <laughs> He wrote episodes for Batman, the animated series, and the 1990s X-Men and Spider-Man TV shows. I have to mention, many listeners from our network, I'm sure, are very familiar with his two Superman novels. Superman, The Last Son of Krypton in 1978, which was the tie-in but not adaption of Superman, the movie. And my favorite, Miracle Monday from 1981. We just did not get novels back then, but that was a great one. He even brought back that future Superwoman, Kristen Wells. Mm -hmm. In a couple of DC Comics Presents annuals, which I always thought was cool. And now I'm like, where is that book? I've got to go read that book. You can actually buy that book with a link on his website, which is self-published now. I guess it's published through Amazon. So anybody who hasn't read that book, either one of those books, they're both great, especially The Miracle Monday. On his website, there's a link to buy some sort of self-published version from Amazon. Finishing up since 2004, he's lived in California and has continued to write both fiction and nonfiction. On his website, he is quick to point out that he knows the difference between the two. (laughs) I thought that was funny. (laughs) He ends his bio with this. His personal history as a custodian for a time of an American legend earned him a special claim on the doctrine of truth, justice, and the American way. But he believes that everyone, American or otherwise, has a right to these values and wishes all of us would claim them as our own. I thought that was a great way to to end that. Hope you enjoyed that. It's Elliot S. Magan, just a real important part of most of our childhoods. We wrote a lot of Superman, a lot of other stories. Had a terrific career. So glad to finally get to him in the Batman family reunion.
0: That was great. I love these. I love the. I never story. knew
1: about the connection to Jeff Loeb. I thought that was super cool.
0: That's amazing. And obviously I respect him as another person who uses their middle initial. I've never used an exclamation point, but. <laughs> Maybe you should start. <laughs> Why not? Okay, readers. We are going to take a dance break because we are going to take a trip to Gabriel's Horn. Right. The hip and hangout for the Teen Titans in the 1970s. We're going to talk about the most 1970s moment in the main Batgirl and Robin story. Paul, what do you
1: have? Well, this one we don't have quite as many, Sean. Although maybe you have a couple good ones. Babs was listening to the radio in her office for news. Eh, there's a zip gun and a hijack of an airplane. Okay, that's close. But the best one I thought of was this random ticket that they leave for Robin oh, for an that's airplane. I that's yours? <laughs> oh, I and no security at the airport, no name of <laughs> anything. That was the only thing I could come up with other than those two middle ones. Did you have any other? Sorry, I took your, took your So
0: all, all the ones that you talked about I had, my golden ticket was the airline ticket because, mm-hmm. oh my gosh, I can't remember the last time I had it. And you can still print them out from your computer yeah. but yeah an airline <laughs> ticket i also had the fact that bruce is reading a newspaper oh and it's, I it's so, that. so yes. that although i work in a library and we do still get the baltimore suns yeah. so but also a payphone there's a payphone
1: oh in the good one you good never, one. You never you never good see good one there is a payphone anymore. i missed that one good one <laughs> who knew this segment was going to turn into a contest see if we could <laughs> All right, so let's move on to our second story. This is a fun story called The Amazing Doctor Double X, starring Batman and Robin. It comes in at 12 pages, written by Dave Wood, who we had the bio of last month, with art by Sheldon Moldoff and Charles Paris, And originally that appeared in 1958 from Detective Comics number 261. The fantastic Doctor X is wreaking havoc on Gotham City. The police are no match for his brute strength. Batman and Robin finally catch up with him at the TikTok watch factory where he is stealing the gold bars that are used to make watch cases. Batman tackles him, but a strange Dr. Double X made out of electrical energy appears. This Double X is even stronger than original Formula X and is about to spear Batman with a sprang watch hand when Single X tells him to stop. Then Double X disappears and Batman and Robin take Single X away. That's like the first couple pages. Anyway, as Single X is languishing in jail, looking really confused, Double X magically appears to him like a genie and breaks him out right in front of the dynamic duo. They escape to his Dr. Frankenstein-looking lair where Double X tells Single X to refill his, quote, machine with the, quote, chemical solution or he will disappear. Turns out Single X was your typical mad scientist who needs funding to continue his important work of creating bizarre electrical duplicates that isolate a particular part of someone's personality and add super strength. So of course he turned to crime. Single X despairs that they can't beat Batman and Robin, but Double X has a plan and we still have half the story to go after all. <laughs> Double X is the brains of the operation to be sure. Actually, it's a pretty good plan. They lure Batman and Robin out to a deserted field with a fake bat signal and police radio broadcast. Then Double X flies up and breaks the wing off the Batplane, which proceeds to crash in the field. They could have done in the Cape Crusaders right there, but of course they got a better idea. They take Batman and Robin back to the Frankenstein mansion to create an evil Batman X. They figure he can help them with their crimes. And Batman X is down with it until his electrical glow starts to fade. And we see he's the real Batman, just pretending to be exified. In the resulting melee, Batman and Robin fright the X's, while the Batman robot (laughs) smashes the machine and Double X disappears for good. It seems that the Batman robot was the one who actually crashed in the Bat plane with Robin, while the real Batman had followed along in the Bat copter, simply covering himself with phosphorus. That can't be too dangerous or toxic, right? Batman was able to fake the transformation into Batman X, Batman and Robin kindly commit Dr. X to a sanitarium where he belongs since that's always a happy ending in the DCU. What did you think, Sean, of this exciting story?
0: Does this make a lot of sense? No. Is this, <laughs> is this a lot of fun? Oh, yes. <laughs> it's the kind of thing, if you read it and examine it, um, okay. But reading through it, especially like the first time, I will say, and again, I'm jumping around just because that's what I do. The art, I am like super, super impressed with the art because of these ghostly figures that they do. They're all Like Surprint before
1: there was Surprint, right?
0: (laughs) Yeah, and they didn't have reduction tricks at this point. So it's all practical effects.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, it's dashed lines and colors, lighter colors. Yeah, it's great.
0: Yeah, and like a white aura force field around it. You can tell- what is supposed to be the ghostly, you know, super versions of Dr. Single X and Batman when he becomes Batman X. I think it looks great. I think my new running gag will be constantly putting down Signal Man because (laughs) there's nothing. (laughs) X and double X, you get it right away. You know, it's a twist on Jekyll and Hyde, although they look exactly the same. But two, you you can see Single X kind of has a little bit more humanity. He doesn't want to kill versus Double X, who's all about the bad.
1: (laughs) It took me two readings to understand what it actually did. And I referenced it. It's in one small panel on the page where they're shining the bat signal at the top. It says, nonsense. Society rejected your theory that you could isolate a man's personality and invent a machine such as this to give it form. It took some exposition to explain what really was he doing? experimenting with, but who cares? At the end of the day, who cares? I thought you were going to comment on the giant clock that's the entrance to the TikTok watch factory. <laughs> I wonder what seven-year-old Sean would have thought of that one.
0: I forget what the real term is. is it googly design in the Rocketeer, like the restaurant that looks like the dog? Like uh, That's the kind of thing that this is modeled after. And yeah, it looks fantastic. I love stuff like that.
1: Yes. Now, Sheldon Mulgoff is we've enjoyed his work all along. We only have a few more issues of reprints that we're going to get his kind of art.
0: And of course... I would not be Sean if I did not comment on his outfit. Now, <laughs> st- straight up, I will say, I, I'm really trying. I don't think of a single character that has a fin. Oh, well, no. So the Rocketeer has a fin. He may be the only character who I think looks great with that mm-hmm. fin. Dr. Light and Yondu mm-hmm. and Captain Comet. Anyone who has like that fin thin thing on top i think that's yeah. horrible So well, yeah. his
1: are feathered and he looks like he's got a chicken on the top of his head I think. yeah yeah which yeah, doesn't, do not, doesn't do him anything doesn't do
0: but he is a man who i admire who i want to be because he's wearing trunks with bare legs and strappy sandals and you can laugh at me if i would but that is a look i love
1: <laughs> Again, I was reading this and I didn't really remember this story at all, but when it came and it's it's a robot out of the blue. He got a Batman robot to fly with Robin. I was like, what out of the blue? I mean, I'm kind of used to these era of Superman having Superman robots coming around. You don't see a Batman robot all that often. Well, reading this has made me hungry for (laughs) Twinkies. you ready to move on <laughs> so let's go
0: on to our bat branding
1: all right you're going to start off with the twinkies
0: ad Sean? ads and the letter pages and let me tell you bat cousins this was my first comic so i didn't know how great they could be but as an adult <laughs> the inside back cover seeing a twinkies ad that is not a comic book page and instead has <laughs> sports cards uh <laughs> martin i am ready to disavow twinkies because of this betrayal to me personally. Sports cards for Twinkies,
1: ugh. I had a bunch of baseball cards when I was a kid, but I don't know if I'm just making it up in my head or if I actually remember cutting the cards off the box of these Hostess snack cakes, I guess, and Twinkies, three baseball cards on the bottom of the box.
0: Obviously, I hate sports. I think everybody knows that. I have a vendetta against sports. So I never, ever collected sports cards. However, Kellogg's, Used to have 3D baseball cards, Mm. and I hate sports, but I love 3D. So I (laughs) your brain must be confused. I loved those 3D baseball cards. A funny little story. I am of an age of a television set that was the focal point in your living room. That literally was furniture. It's like a huge television cabinet Mm -hmm. and it had the doors on the front that you would, you know, like fold open and then like slide back in and you would put stuff on top of your TV. But we also had a panel that pulled out with all of the dials and everything. (laughs) So like you could pull it out and in. And I also remember going to a store with my parents and people would run a credit card thing. You would put your credit card down and put a piece of paper over Mm -hmm. and then slide that thing back and forth.
1: Yeah, yeah. So I
0: somehow I portman towed them together into one device. So you would pull the thing out of the TV. And you could take a Kellogg's 3d baseball card and put it down in and then put it back in the TV and pull it out. And your card would be gone. So I had my <laughs> stack of 3d baseball cards. And I would pull it out, put it down, put it in, pull it out. It was gone. Pull it out, put it down, put it in, pull it out. It was gone. And meanwhile, Until, your dad's cleaning up. Like, what are all these baseball cards doing? Back well, there? spoiler alert, the TV started to not work. work <laughs> and these were the days where someone would come out to your house to fix your TV. So he pushes the TV forward. He unscrews the back panel of the television set. And he pulls all these things like, hey, these are all my 3D baseball cards.
1: <laughs> I didn't know where you were going with that story, but the ending was worth it. <laughs> oh, my goodness. All right, let's move on. Do you have an ad
0: one? you want to talk about?
1: There's a Treasury's ad, so I figured you want to talk about that one next. Absolutely.
0: There is a Treasury ad, and it is up, up, and away. Fly Superboy and the Legion of Superheroes in their first limited collector's edition. Now, I have to say, I told this story on Treasury Cast. I had Treasuries off and on as they came out on the stands. But I got an eBay lot of Treasuries, which at the time was, I think, the most money I had ever paid for anything in my life. And Superboy and the Legion was in there. It's not as bad as being tomahawked, but... When you get a Superboy and the Legion of Superheroes Treasury with this beautiful Mike Grell cover of, I guess, all the Legionnaires just flying out, and then you open it up and it's Kurt Swan art. And I know that I said I like Kurt Swan earlier, but yeah, I was a little bamboozled. Not quite Treasury. as
1: bad as the Tomahawk, but but it's it was it's, not. Yeah, no, I hear you. Now the, now, the other treasury
0: in the ad is Superman versus the Flash. And the cool thing is, I did have that. Now, I got it a couple years later. Yeah, yeah. I was so happy with that treasury. I love both of those stories. And in the middle of the treasury, it has Superman's Fortress of Solitude. Yeah. So it's a beautiful Neil Adams portrait of Superman outside the door. And then two full pages of his map. And then the last page, they ran out of time. So he promises us that it's going to be in a future issue. And then you get a cool Flash crossword puzzle. Those ads are fantastic.
1: I had this one going up where I read those stories, obviously, of the races, Superman and the Flash. I just think this cover is great. The Superman and the Flash images are great. But what really sells the cover for me are the heroes on either side cheering them on.
0: (laughs) They're awesome. You can't hear a comic book cover... But yeah. you can hear them say, go, go, go,
1: yeah, go
0: Flash,
1: man. go Superman. Yeah. Got a couple other things that we want to talk about. We do have a subscription ad for the Amazing World of DC Comics. And I think I mentioned on an earlier episode, I, I subscribed at one point, had I don't know, half of them growing up and then eventually acquired the rest of them. They are great fun if you ever get a chance to read some of them. This one's neat because it's got an interview with Mike Grell in it. A cool thing is Earth After Disaster, How to Fit the Futures of Commandy. Hercules and the Atomic Knights together. I'm like, oh, I want to go read that now. But on the opposite page from that, this is the most interesting ad, in my opinion, in the issue, Sean. I don't know if you think. But Mm -hmm. they're having a first edition sale. Normally, we're used to DC Comics and all the rest saying, oh, we don't have back issues. Guess what? This is not sponsored by DC. This is sponsored by Heroes World. Again, they call themselves NCG Merchandise. We mentioned that in a previous episode. But they have five different sets of first issues that you could get. So, for example, set A has a Tarjan Digest number one, Tor number one, Atlas number one, Batman Family number one, and Prez number one. And then the other sets have other ones. Set B looked good to me. Shazam, Justice Inc., Strange Sports, Black Magic, and Claw. Five different sets within the middle, an ad for the secret origins of DC superheroes, the paperback book. And you could buy any of these sets of five first issues for $4. If DC wasn't involved in this, it should have been because this is a good way to get some readers interested in your newer characters and stuff.
0: I remember this ad. And in fact, I remember going through and listing in order which group I wanted. Obviously, set A was the one I wanted most Mm -hmm. because it had Batman Family number one, which, of course, at that time, I didn't have.
1: Right. That's cool. This is a neat ad. We haven't seen one like this. We'll definitely include this one. I'll have to scan this one and put it in. Finally, of course, there's a letters page. I have a couple of comments. Well, as yep. always,
0: I would like to invite yep, Georgine Freyna, Scott Gibson, our old favorite, Bob Rody. And Calvin Johnson, if you are hearing my voice, please call in. We would love, love, love to have you on the show to talk to someone who actually had a letter printed in the letter column.
1: <laughs> I liked how Georgine caught the fact is my imagination or is Robin making a pass at Batgirl? <laughs> <laughs> she does say you know i do like clark being in the story but they resisted using superman so we made a similar comment so i thought that was cool see, bob Ro- see
0: look look how simpatico we are come on yeah, the show yeah
1: uh, bob rody your friend his best comment was at last a story worthy of the batgirl robin team courtesy of bates and magan of course together they are capable of doing what each is not able to do on his own carrie is a nice plotter but has an inability to characterize. Well, Elliot is wonderful with characterization, but suffers from plot deficiency. However, they manage quite well themselves together. It's really interesting. As we've been talking about Elliot Magan's stories, we're like, well, I don't really understand where this comes from, but boy, aren't they fun. And don't you love the interaction between Robin and background? He's right. I thought that was fascinating. He nailed it. Yeah. Anything else on the letters page? Definitely. Calvin
0: Johnson points out Robin is getting older and interested in older women. So how about Catwoman?
1: <laughs> yeah, really? Man, this is where Dick gets his reputation of being a horn dog, I guess, you know? <laughs> and now this is almost 90210 level of cooking up. <laughs> and we're still like four years away from Starfire being introduced. <laughs> Ready to go on and talk about Broken Trophies? We are, Yes. Our next story is The Broken
0: Batman Trophies, starring Batman and Robin. It's six pages, written by Bill Finger, penciled by Dick Sprang, and inked by Charles Paris. And it originally appeared in Batman number 103 from 1956. Batman and Robin in The Broken Batman Trophies. Our splash page panel is actually a crash page panel, as Batman has to smash a trophy at the Batman Day Bash. Our story starts at a TV studio where Bruce Wayne is being interviewed about his close personal friendship with the Cape Crusader for the second annual Batman Day celebration. If you want to hear if Batman's entrance was as spectacular as the one he made at the first annual Batman Day, (laughs) let the editors know. A boom mic accidentally falls and mars the beautiful, beautiful visage of Bruce. And let me tell you, girl is vain about her face because Ms. Wayne goes to extraordinary lengths so that the camera sees no flaw. A sword, a statue, a water globe, a bell, a book, and a candle, just kidding about those last three, but all three of them are in the title of a great movie, all suffer the fate of destruction so that the home TV audience won't piece together that Bruce Wayne and Batman share the same jawline. Batman then reveals to the audience that everything he did had a purpose, and that these mementos mean more to him because they are destroyed. And that they will have a place of honor in the Batcave, right beside the hat pin. <laughs> what
1: did you think, Paul? <laughs> I love the ending. I want to see them all together next time we see the Batcave. First of all, I love Batman Day. Here's Batman. He's going to come on TV and say, "Well, oh, thank you. Thank you for the key to the city. It was funny that this guy then steals the turban from the Raja Vishtu. I'm like, oh, is that the Mad Hatter? <laughs> oh, wow,
0: that would have been great. The thing I love about the story is it really shows the influence already of television. Like this just is such television centric story. People have had TVs in their home now. They understand it. The fact that you have your TV picture going out it's on the fritz.
1: I love that aspect of it. Well, that's a really and, good point because when is this 1956? Yeah, you're right. TVs were they've been around, but still not everybody's got one. And to a
0: degree, we don't really have so much issues with reception or with cable mm-hmm. and streaming in the early days with computers. Maybe you had lagging and stuff like that, but for the most part, we don't really deal with issues like that so much as they did back in those days of antennas and Mm -hmm. and things like that. So I love the fact when these things happen, it's all technical mistakes and like the audience is seeing, you know, that's the whole point. The audience is not seeing the picture clearly so you don't see the scar
1: on his jaw. In terms of art, this is pretty typical Dick Sprang, but I have to point out one really creative sequence. If you go on the one, two, three, fourth page of the story, It's the one opposite the Amazing World of DC Comics ad. You see Batman jump from the balcony, hit a diving board, and then jump into the next panel to clobber the bad guy. I really like that. That was very clever. I had that in my notes. Yeah, that
0: is in the best possible way, like panel breaking. Yeah, Yeah, that is, it's really super clever and imaginative. I think it looks fantastic.
1: I like the couple, the old couple on the next page. How could Batman be so clumsy? (laughs) (laughs) It's
0: a neat little twist when close to the end, Batman says, folks, I can't go into details, but what I did, I did to protect the career of someone I know well. And the man says, he must mean Robin. He did it to protect Robin.
1: Yeah, not knowing it's himself. Yeah, no, that was cute. And all the people who gave him the presents, they're happy at the end. They realize, even though their presents are broken, that they did something good. You know, we don't get a lot of stories like this. It's basically all about a secret identity. There's no real supervillain or yeah. master crime or anything. It's a series of inf- unfortunate events, so to speak. I do like that the guys at the end are happy that he does value their presence and wasn't being clumsy to be disrespectful to them.
0: It speaks about the time of comics where a Batman comic book had three or four Batman stories. So you need something to fill up all of those stories. Right. So you could tell what is uh, six pages, eight pages, you know, you could tell a short little story like that. We never, ever get slice of life. I don't even know that I want to call this a slice of life. Kind of like you said, there's no villain. There's no real trap that he has to evade other than, you know, like his jawline thing. I don't necessarily know that I want to say it's charming, but it's so delightfully off I guess is a good way to explain it. And it's funny because you kind of talked about this a little bit earlier. When I think back about this issue, I definitely remember the Robin and Batgirl story. Mm-hmm. And I remember the Broken Trophy story. The Double X story, I have less whatever, mm-hmm. imprinting core memories. But those other two, oh my gosh, they are imprinted in my mind.
1: Like, yeah, I remember no, no. I all it. of them. All right, you ready to move on? We're going to go to the Bat timeline? Absolutely. So in this segment, we're going to take a look at the other titles that DC and the other publishers published this month and what the rest of the Batman family was doing at that time. Thanks to Mike's Amazing World of DC Comics. First up is Batman number 279 starring the Riddler and with Robin as a guest star. And I remember this. I know I had this one growing up because I remember, you know, it was kind of a big deal. When Robin came back to the main Batman title for those years when he was off at Hudson University, this was a pretty cool story. And what's neat is on the cover, you have the Riddler jumping out of a sarcophagus to tackle Robin, who's tackling another Riddler.
0: Earlier, you were talking about the Green Lantern story being on DC Infinite. So I wrote that down. This is also going on to my to-read pile, because I, I want to read this story now. Yeah. The next issue is Batman Brave and the Bold, and it's Brave and the Bold number 129. And he's teaming up with Green Arrow for the claws of the Emperor Eagle. This, again, is a great cover. In the background, Green Arrow is tied to a post. But the main image of this is a ring tied to a rope. Batman is on a horse. He's going to joust the ring. And Joker and Two-Face are teaming up yelling at him. (laughs) So I actually may put this on my pile also to read.
1: Detective this month is kind of a notable one. Detective number 463. And the cover has Batman being menaced by the Black Spider, the Socko Slugfest of 76, Batman versus the Black Spider. But that's not why I wanted to call it out. I wanted to call it out because I mentioned we have the Atom as the backup feature in Detective this month. And in that story, we have the first appearance of the calculator, and I loved this series when I was a kid of the calculator coming because what was cool about this if you haven't heard of this story before each backup issue of Detective for five or six issues in a row the calculator would come after a different DC hero and he would almost let himself be defeated by that hero and this was his first appearance he's going up against the atom he gets Green Arrow Black Canary Hawkman Elongated Man I think and at the end there's a full length story where all those heroes come and help Batman and that last installment has a fantastic cover by Jim Impero calculators, of all things, were a novel item in 1976. The dude had a giant calculator on his chest, okay? I just ate this up when I was a kid. I read all these stories a little while ago, and they don't quite hold up that good, but it was still a very clever use. And do you know who wrote most of those backups? Our good friend Bob Rosakis. Sorry, I went on a little too long about Detective Comics 463. We're going to go on a little bit longer.
0: You were talking about the calculator's outfit. Yeah. It always reminded me of Jim Neighbors and Ruth Buzzy on Lost Saucer. Like where <laughs> okay. they're robots and they have those big chest things. <laughs> that always reminded me of the calculators out there.
1: <laughs> There's another reference I didn't get, Siskoid, so I'll just <laughs> laugh along. So
0: the next issue we're going to talk about is the Joker. And that's Joker number nine. And that is the cat and the clown. This issue is notable for two things. Catwoman is in this issue and she is in a cage along with tigers. And Joker has a whip and he's cracking the whip. This is the last issue of Joker, but it's kind of not the last issue of Joker because it is the last issue of Joker that was published at the time. But there is a Joker number 10 that has since been published and it's featured in the collection that they Mm -hmm. came out with a couple of years ago. In
1: the omnibus too. It's in that. Yes justice league this month the battle on the edge of forever written by jerry conway and art by dick dylan this one's got despro and who doesn't like despro who's got his giant thin blasting supergirl on the cover guest starring in this issue i
0: love the giant hand on the cover that's, yeah. that's fantastic yeah yeah and the last one of the bat timeline is world's finest comics number 240 and it's a story called how do you kill a superman and we're gonna find out because Superman is on a throne with a Burger King crown on him, <laughs> tied with chains and Batman has a gun and he's gonna figure out how do you kill a Superman
1: <laughs> So what else do you have this month Sean
0: okay so Paul and I each have an allowance of five. Dollars that we can use to buy comics. And the first comic I'm going to get is my old reliable standard All-Star Comics with a Super Squad. And that's number 62. Mm -hmm. My next issue is kind of like a surprise, but it's for a specific reason. So I'm getting the Amazing Spider-Man number 160. Okay. And you're thinking I'm going to get it because it has the (laughs) Spider-Mobile. And that is part of it. But the main reason I'm going to get this issue is just recently last year, I went and got, I collected all of the Marvel Comics Video Library titles. They're 24 volumes. They're in black clamshell packaging. So like the old Disney VHSs, that's called clamshell packaging. So each tape has two shows. It's like a Marvel character. And then Spider-Man is always the second episode. I'm going to attach a photo in our gallery because these VHS tapes, have the worst cover art ever. <laughs> it is atrocious. It's horrible. And I love each one. But literally <laughs> there are VHS covers that have like the back of the character's head.
1: <laughs> Worse uh, than the charms pop ad last issue.
0: It comes very close to that. But <laughs> this image of Spider-Man is on the first VHS cover. Mm-hmm. And now I will say on this cover, It's very striking. You get that he's falling off of a wall, which he shouldn't have to be able to do. But the VHS kind of like crops it very much. So you don't really get that he's falling off the wall. It's horrible. Fat Cousins, (laughs) look at the pictures of all of these VHS tapes because they're atrocious.
1: (laughs) Well, I had that on my list too. I had it because of the Spider-Mobile. Keep going, Sean okay
0: rob just relax i have dc superstars number seven and i don't have to tell him that it's dc superstars presents aquaman and it's an issue with black manta and ocean master now the next one i'm actually going to save for last alphabetically so we'll circle around but my next issue is the flash number 244 and it's the last day of june is the last day of central city And it's great because it's almost one of those covers where the villains are coming from each side, but Flash is running in between each other. So he goes to Captain Cold, then to... Weather Wizard, then the Heat Wave, and then to Mirror Master.
1: Yeah, that's a cool cover. It's kind of zigzagging toward us. It looks
0: great. My next issue is Freedom Fighters number four, and it is guest starring Wonder Woman.
1: Yeah, I had that one for fans of Brawl Mankind and Super Friends. That's got Ramona Freight and Art it.
0: My next one is an odd one. New Terry Tunes number 39. It's a gold key starring Heckle and Jekyll. And I used to watch Heckle and Jekyll cartoons when I was a kid, so I thought I'd pick that up to reminisce. My next one is Bonkers number three. Uh, I'm sorry, The Secret Society of (laughs) Supervillains, number three, which is bonkers. My next issue is another trusty stalwart of my pull list Shazam, number 25. And this is a special issue because it guest stars Isis. And the name of that story is Isis, as in Crisis. So that way you wouldn't say is, is. And it features (laughs) a Captain Marvel story called The Bicentennial Villain. My next issue is Superman, number 303, and it features Lightning Strikes. Thunder kills, And it's a really great cover. Superman is in the middle and a thundercloud is holding him by his arms while lightning is striking him, literally striking him with lightning bolts. And it, it just looks fantastic. The next issue is Twilight Zone number 72. Ooh. It's another gold key title. I know I'm going to be disappointed by this, but <laughs> I love Twilight Zone, so... I'm going to try it. My second to last issue is Walt Disney Showcase with Peter Pan. And that's Walt Disney Showcase number 36. And literally the only reason I'm bringing this up is so that I can tell everyone that You Can Fly, You Can Fly, You Can Fly is my favorite (laughs) Disney song from an animated Disney. Really? Interesting. I did not know that. When else am I ever going to be able to talk about that on Batman Family Reunion? There you go. So those literally were the comic books that I was gonna uh, I going to get. But I know we do have to point out, so we only have $5. So even if we pulled our money together, Paul, we <laughs> could not afford the Encyclopedia of Comic Book Heroes, Volume 1, Batman, for $15.95. Yeah. And one great thing about this book is I had this book as a kid.
1: Did you and have the hardcover? Or no, a soft cover. No. I had this a soft cover. Been, yeah. It I, had, been
0: the, the paperback.
1: I, I had this obviously as number one on my list. My thing at the top. Break the bank, borrow money from mom and dad this month to get this book. I devoured this book as a kid. I still have my copy. And it was reprinted later on, maybe 10 years ago with a new cover. It breaks the budget at 1595. I don't know what the soft that's... cover was, because this is hardcover. I don't know if the I soft cover was less. I have to go look at the price 10? of it. Maybe
0: yeah. eight ninety-five, nine ninety five, yeah. maybe yeah, probably. So with all of my books, that's 335. So I can't believe I'm saving money again. So the candy I'm gonna get, Martin, listen up. When I was a kid, I think maybe they were called funny bones, and they were in the shape of a skeleton, and you would put together the skeleton, and it came in like a little plastic coffin. I don't know if you guys remember that, but that. so I'm going to get that and probably like a couple.
1: This breaks the bank for me for a couple of reasons. One, obviously, is the encyclopedia. Of the ones you didn't mention, Action Comics number 463. Love it. It's another bicentennial-themed story. It's covered by Bob Ostner, and he knocks Superman from 1976 through time back into 1776, and there's a great <laughs> visual of the guy Guy punching superman and then he sort of flings back and then you have clark kent in colonial attire you mentioned spider-man avengers number 151 you've got engelhart and perez still on the art and story in this one and you've got a great cover with thor iron man and captain america face front heroes we've got a new lineup it was always neat when there was a lineup change in the avengers you skip all these you talked about marvel tales number 171 and this is where i would have read the story of captain stacy dying I wanted to point out, I'm surprised you didn't pick a Richie Rich. There were only nine Richie Rich comics this month. So I wanted to point that out. But the other thing that breaks the bank for me is the Six Million Dollar Man magazine number two. Which have a cover price of a dollar And it's got this fantastic Neil Adams cover Where Steve Austin He's got a picture of him at the top Right next to the logo And then he's got a mountain lion I guess it is Lifting the mountain lion over his head About to throw it And you you see where his bionic arm And his bionic leg Have been scratched Or or scraped open And you see the mechanics inside And he's about to throw the mountain lion There's another one behind him About to attack I mean, wow I mean, this was my favorite show I I couldn't find these magazines all the time I know I had a couple of them when I was a kid, you know, on black and white, of course, published by Charlton. I didn't bother adding it up, so I was probably north of $20 by the time I was so. <laughs> done. So let's move on to our fourth story. Oh no, there's no fourth story. What are we going to do, Sean? Oh well, I guess what we're going to do is play a couple of podcast promos, and when we return, we'll read your listener feedback. It's Fade Out. Hosted by film fanatic Rob Kelly and a roster of special guests, Fade Out will examine the final films of Hollywood's Brightest Lights, part of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Do you remember your first comic book? Do you remember the first time you held a cover in your hand and you flipped the pages, you read the adventures of these amazing heroes, and you really fell in love with the medium? The first time you bonded a character to a team, to a company, and you knew, yep, I'm in this for life. Well, so do we. So join us on the never-ending reading pile from the Pulp to Pixel podcast network, where we proudly don our nostalgia goggles, we dive into our favorite comics, our favorite eras, our favorite characters, our favorite creators, and we just bask in the glory that is being a comic book collector Come join us and help us chip away at the never-ending reading pile.
0: Welcome back. Now we will read and respond to your listener feedback for episode six, our special Bicentennial issue. Paul, do you want to kick
1: us off? Absolutely. First up, we have Martin Gray. Glory Glory to to Gray. Gray. (laughs) says, hi, Batty Uncles. Thanks for another tremendously distracting show. The cover is great. Boxes and all. Ernie Chua is reliably good and a million points to whoever came up with Bison-Tenniel. That's probably the best pun I've ever seen on a DC comic and I've read, oh, more than a dozen. I'm sure you have, Martin. The Batgirl story is a typically tightly plotted time passer, the most notable feature being the Chris, Pose, Delbo, and Vince Coletta artwork. I really do love their Babs.
0: We agree, Martin. She looks great, other than the collar.
1: The Joker's daughter's debut wasn't the most exciting first appearance, but hey, we're getting dual Dent. Bob Razakis really doesn't get enough credit, constantly coming up with fun shorts and along the way creating two characters DC has gotten an awful lot of mileage out of, Joker's Daughter and The Calculator. And in terms of characters we don't see much, but who are simply wonderful, I give you the cast of Amazing Man. I do hope someone at the Fire and Water Network interviews the Answer Man one day. Again, great art, Irv Novick and Frank McLaughlin personify the Bronze Age for me. They're my Flash artists. In Batman terms, of course, when Irv Inovic is drawing a moody story. And I think by Dick Giordano, there's a definite Neil Adams vibe. The wee focus on Robin's tiny supporting cast was fun. And I'd love to see them show up in Nightwing, especially Lori Elton. The poor lass had no chance. Here designated as Dick Grayson's current girlfriend.
0: I would love and maybe fear Lori showing up in modern continuity. I would love her to be back. As long as she's portrayed as a normal human woman and not some kind of super secret spy who's out (laughs) to kill Dick or wants revenge because back at Hudson University, he ditched. But I don't want her to go after Dick. I don't want her to be a problem. Maybe she's better at her job than Dick is. So in that case, don't make her a murderer. Don't make her crazy.
1: (laughs) Martin goes on, those Alfred stories were so cute and they really capture the way we Brits speak. And I love these old stories that have not thought balloons, but parenthetical lines in the regular word balloon. I do like that too, Martin. I miss thought balloons, let alone that. All we get is captions now. I enjoyed the curious crime capers. They have to be true. Otherwise they'd be funnier. (laughs) Mind, I'd not have been disappointed if the page had featured strange customs. I love such things. Everything I know about trapping a man. I learned from the feature pages in wonder woman. You and me both brother. The Mad Hatter story is indeed loads of fun with such things as the eerie puppet jury and the magician ruining his looks with his chin turd. It's a shame that nowadays the Mad Hatter is just another murderous Gotham ghoul as regards, robin managing to pop that balloon with just a hat pin perhaps he used the slingshot that was his golden age weapon of choice okay we can't see it but he's pretty small in the frame anyway talking of the mad hatter's balloon pop quiz name another batman foe who traveled by hot air balloon sean you have an answer for that
0: my guess is The Wizard of Oz?
1: I don't know. You'll have to give us the answer to that in the comments, (laughs) Martin.
0: Or maybe the other Bat Cousins could chime in with their guesses and then Martin can give us the answer.
1: Absolutely. As ever, the run-through of contemporary comics was fun. I must admit, I liked Tim Trench. There's the Tim Trench fan, but I preferred Johnny Double. And of course, some of us knew Captain Comet before he starred in Secret Society of Supervillains as he was reprinted in the DC Superstars of Space. I'd forgotten that, Martin. You're absolutely right. A couple of his earliest adventures were represented a couple of years previously in World's Finest Comics 204 and Superman 244. Well done. It's great to be old. <laughs> Excellent catch, Martin. The Dave Wood feature was eye-popping. People had such fascinating lives back then. Yeah, fascinating is a good word. And then as regards to the letter column, A spot of research tells me that comics were banned by B-52, Fred Scheider's father, but he did meet Archie and Pals at one point when the band visited Riverdale. I'd like to read that.
0: (laughs) Yeah, me too. The other one I would love to read with like music groups being in comics. I've never read any of the Kiss comics. I'd be interested in exploring that. If anyone has the Marvel app, can you look it up and let me know if if they're on there? I'd be interested in reading them. Our next letter is from Rob McCarthy, otherwise known as Jack Napier and he writes in to say, Joker 8 was kind of interesting, yet another story that set up something that would be good if they ever let Joker be two parts. Joker is really scared of Superman and really likes golf. Neither plot is followed up. Joker enjoying a sport is an interesting idea. I'm sure I don't need to remind anybody, Joker 6 has golf too. However, unlike Joker 6, Joker
1: 8 is good. I hope Rob sticks around after the Joker's canceled from the Batman family So Next up, network co-founder and Ultra fan Rob Kelly pipes in. Like a dog that sees a squirrel, you really had my attention when you mentioned Dave Wood because I was hoping you would get to his and anyone's greatest contribution to comics, Ultra, the multi-alien. I really enjoyed the deep dive into Wood's backstory and career. There were so many of these hardworking guys who toiled in obscurity who probably died thinking no one would ever remember their work in comics. More of this on this show, please. you got it, Rob. Thank you. Glad to give some props to Dave Wood. You know, people probably overlooked him and only remember his brother. And, you know, I did not know that he created Ultra, let alone had a hand in the first issue of The Challengers of the Unknown. So I was happy to give some props to him. Back to Rob. The Superman belt buckle can be found on eBay for only $17. Tempting. Well, during that episode, Rob, Sean wondered whether if you'd actually bought all the comics and sent in the coupon, would it have cost $17? And even if you bought all 33, forget about only 25, but 33 would have cost you $10.90. So you are paying more nowadays. It has appreciated in value. So Rob closes with great episode as usual. Thank you, Rob.
0: Our next letter is from Mark Baker Wright, and he writes in and says, Quick clarification regarding your comments about Agatha Christie and Hercule Perot. While it is true that Christie wrote Perot for nearly her entire career, despite growing tired of doing so, she actually did kill him off. Amazingly, she did so quite early in her career. But then, as alluded to in your podcast, she had the story locked up for several decades. In this specific case, the story is called Curtain, Poirot's Last Case. The book didn't quite wait for Christie's death. Although such was the apparent intention. But it was indeed released only when she knew that the end was near. Another quote unquote vault book did indeed get published after Christie's death, but it wasn't a parole book and didn't feature the death of its long running protagonist.
1: Well, thanks, Mark. Appreciate that. I knew that someone would know a lot more about Agatha Christie than us. So we appreciate the clarification and the cool info. So thanks a lot, Mark.
0: And back, cousins, when you're listening to us and you're yelling, Oh, my gosh, Sean, you're so dumb. You (laughs) forgot that Crypto starred in an 18-issue miniseries that changed the DC universe. Write in and let us know so we can correct ourselves. Next up is Cousin Liz Ann Oswald. Once again, a green outfit. It's a good thing Babs has red hair, and it's nice to have two different shades of green. But unless you are a green arrow or in the military, an all-green outfit is not the way to go. The Joker's daughter was always a great character, though she was sadly underused. It is interesting that she turns out to be Two-Face's daughter. Hey, Lizanne, spoiler alert! Since she later became Harlequin, I do wonder if Paul Dini and Bruce Timm were at all inspired by Diola Den. I know a lot of that version of Harley Quinn came about because of his friendship with Arlene Sorkin, but who knows? Though this is definitely the definitive look of Joker's daughter, and the one most people think of when they think of Diola Den. Once again, you have another female falling for Robin. That grace butt brings in more admirers. And unlike the womanizer storylines for Green Lantern, this would make sense. <laughs> Thank you all for posting the drawing I did of a possible design for Robin's costume. That was pretty cool. This belt buckle you have also looks cool. I agree, Lizanne. Lizanne goes on to say, The Carmine artwork of Catwoman is fun. And Lizanne has more fashion comments. Her outfit is on point. But to be honest, that underbust corset she's wearing, I'm slightly impressed by and
1: slightly scared. Yeah, that is a really tiny waist in that picture, Lizanne. I gotcha.
0: But what it's doing for Selena in this drawing, I'm calling it a corset. I'm not throwing shade at it. I'm just saying that if you can find one that you can pull in that much, you go for it. (laughs) Thanks,
1: Lizanne. All right, up next is Network All-star and co-host of JLUCAS, Chris Franklin, who comes in to say, great show is always, gents. I like the new slip and slide you installed at the reunion, but those things are really for kids and not good for an old man's back. Now at this part in
0: the script, Paul has Sean's humorous response. And I don't know that I have a humorous response, but I love Disney World, Paul loves Disney World, and we know that Chris Franklin loves Disney World, So I will say that the best water slide I've ever been on in my life is at Blizzard Beach, which Blizzard Beach is supposed to be like a ski resort and all the snow is melting. And they have a slide that looks like a ski jump where, you know, you go down and then like pivot back up, but you go all the way down. And that is a fantastic ride. And I wholeheartedly recommend it for everyone.
1: Back to Chris, who says, I still can't decide how I feel about the Joker's Daughter, slash Dula Dent, slash Harlequin. I think part of the problem is I believe that I first met her in the Tales of the Teen Titans number 50, Donna Troy's wedding. There, she's somehow much older than Dick and the other Titans. And even then, it was clear to me that Marv Wolfman was kind of thumbing his nose at the late 70s Titans run. So when I started to get back issues of Batman Family and the Teen Titans, my opinion had already been tainted. I need to reread all her appearances and reevaluate.
0: Well, stay tuned, Chris, for her Batman Family appearances. And maybe we will do a special episode for her Teen Titans appearances down the road.
1: Back to Chris. Good on Paul for getting that belt buckle. And thanks for sharing the pick. I've never seen one in person. I have always preferred the Jervis Tetch mustachioed Mad Hatter over the earlier Alice in Wonderland Golden Age version. That is mostly because of David Wayne's stuffy dandy-like performance <laughs> in Batman 66. And both his appearances were based on two prior comic appearances like this one, as you pointed out. Now, Batman the Animated Series did a great job with the other hatter, but beyond that, give me this one every day.
0: Quick story about David Wayne's appearance on Batman 66. I used to work at a country club and we had a gentleman who would deliver flowers and arrange them each week on the centerpiece in the country club lobby. And I was the receptionist, so I was always there when he came in. And every time he came in, On my computer, I would bring up a picture of Mad Hatter, and then whoever was standing beside me, I would point at the (laughs) computer, and every single person would start (laughs) laughing because this gentleman, he looked exactly like David Wayne on Batman 60s. Oh my gosh. A long lost cousin, Brett Michael Young, joins the reunion and says, Hi cousins, this is my first family picnic, so I have to admit, I wasn't expecting so much talk about wood, but whatever. I brought some Turkey Hill iced tea, and I made a bat jello mold with a real bat in the middle. Get a good spoonful. You can really
1: taste the bat. Well, welcome, Brett. It is always great to have new cousins come to the reunion.
0: And this is Sean now talking. This brings up a question. So Turkey Hill is based in Lancaster. I'm used to it from being around here. Is Turkey Hill a nationwide thing? Paul, you're in Jersey. Do you have Turkey Hill?
1: Not that many. have seen a few of more in Pennsylvania. Brett, you have to tell us where you live, but I don't think it's national, but I think it's more of a regional. I mean, it's not as okay. big as Wawa. I mean, Wawa is not national, so.
0: Turkey Hill ice cream. My favorite flavor is vanilla ice cream and orange sherbet mixed together. Oh my God, I love it. It tastes like summer. I, I my love favorite
1: it. Turkey Hill is the chocolate chocolate chip. All right. This will start yet another food. <laughs> Discussion. I was, I was just gonna say. Put that. in your favorite ice cream, Bat Family. Let's have it.
0: Now I've never been to England or the UK, but Martin will probably talk about onion flavored ice cream. <laughs> that's probably the best.
1: I don't know. Do they have ice cream? Can they keep
0: it cold? I'm not much. Sure. <laughs> Brett Michael Young goes on to say, "I have random issues of Batman Family from when I was a little kid, so it's great to revisit the family. The background tale was okay, with the most shocking moment being the post's headline." Today, our best hope for the headline would be judge rules against senators plan to remove indigenous people from their own land for drilling moves to higher court. Robin's adventure was a little better. I really liked Irv Novick's art. He made everyone look like they were in an episode of the Rockford files. That was an artist of his time. (laughs) Chumley is a good boy. I really liked the Mad Hatter story by not Bob Kane. One thing that really impressed me was the amount of detail used by the artist, not Bob Kane. The artist who was not Bob Kane, by the way, did a wonderful job of storytelling and making each location seem different. By the way, 50 grand in cash prizes at a bowling alley? <laughs> you wouldn't see that today. Who ran this alley, the Rockefellers? Anyway, great show guys, I better scram. I accidentally caught Aunt Marge in the ankle with a long dart and she is quite the drama queen. See you at the next reunion.
1: That was great. Thanks for getting into the spirit there, Brett. We appreciate it. Next up is network all-star Siskoid, who swings by to pipe in, I sense a real dog agenda being pushed on this (laughs) show, no matter how much Paul growls at Catwoman. Rawr is right. To which
0: Martin Gray comes back and adds, Indeed, cats are caviar, but dogs are stale Twinkies. Ouch. Okay, that's mean. Dogs and cats are both lovely, neither is better. To which Sean M. Myers says, but we know that dogs are the greatest creation on this earth.
1: Finally, we want to close with a special comment, one from the answer man, Bob Rosakis himself. Bob writes in and says that the story behind the Hudson University Unispan is recounted in my blog and he enclosed a link to his blog. And I encourage everybody to go check out the story on Bob's blog. It's a great story Mm -hmm. about how Bob based the Hudson U Unispan on the Hofstra University Unispan and now gotten meta because now inside the Hofstra University Unispan, there's a picture of Bob and uh, the panel of the Hudson University Unispan. So I think that's great. So just check out that link. I'll, I'll try to put another link in this, issues, in this episode's show notes as well. So enjoy it. We do hope to get Bob on. We would love it. But we don't have any promises yet at this time. We will keep you all posted. So watch this Bat Channel.
0: And now we're going to acknowledge our Bat family members who share our podcast on social media. We appreciate the support from our online community for Facebook and Twitter. And we have likes, forwards, mentions, and conversations from Mike Thomas, Max Romero, Brian Linton, Keith G. Baker, Clinton Robinson, Paul Keene and Sean M. Myers. Never heard of them. Earth 2 Chris, Ann Oswald, Superman Move Men, Digest Cast, Martin, oh, Martin Comics, Mountain Comics, Treasury Comics, For All Mankind, SF. Ed Moore, Vera Thoris of Mars, Siskoid, Fire and Water Network, thanks boss, Michael Thomas, Xenozonic Xenophiles, Dark Phoenix, Days of High Adventure Podcast, Captain Freakout's Psychedelic Radio, Martin Gray, Dave's Comic Heroes Blog, Tom McCullough, Ward Hill Justin Steiner. Dr. Pop Culture BGSU, Doc Strange, Firestorm Fan, and Irredeemable Shag, This Lightsaber Kills Fascists, John Malarkey, Chris Leiden, Tim Price, the Pod Crasher, Sean, and Martin Mainza. Thanks, guys. Thanks to everyone. Wow,
1: that's great. That seems like that list's getting longer. So we appreciate the support, everybody. We really do. Before we go, as I think you all know, Running the fire and water podcast network has gotten more costly over the years. as more and more shows were added. So if you enjoy what you hear here or at any of the other shows, and there are a lot of great ones, please consider becoming a patron. We can't all be Bruce Wayne, but any small amount you can give helps defray the cost and help us build a unispan. <laughs> to find out how go to patreon.com/fwpodcasts. FW podcasts. And thanks. That will do it for this feedback
0: section and for episode seven thanks for listening and we hope you will enjoy us next month when we will see our first ever full-length robin feature where he battles Catgirl. have a great month cousins
1: see y'all later